0: Hello, I'm Nick Cater and you're listening to The Water Cooler. Today on The Water Cooler I want to discuss quite a vexed and in many ways difficult question to discuss in the political context. Recently we've seen some quite extraordinary scenes both inside and outside the Parliament of New South Wales when the issue of abortion came up for discussion it was a subject i think many of us thought had been dealt with some time ago uh, in a way that was broadly to the within the consensus of opinion across the broad population an unexpected decision by the new south wales premier gladys Berejiklian to press ahead with the, the decriminalisation of abortion led to some quite extraordinary debate and extraordinary scenes outside parliament there were thousands of people gathered from both sides first from the pro choice movement, the women's rights movement
1: when women's rights attack do do
0: And then then later that evening we had a, a gathering of thousands of people in Martin Place celebrating the sanctity of life and arguing against the changes. Many of us, I think, uh, that was Barnaby Joyce, by the way. Um, For many of us, I think, who who like to think that our parliaments deal with civic disputes in a pretty good way, generally coming to compromise on on issues. This was quite a confronting issue to deal with, and throws up all sorts of questions between rights and inalienable principles like the sanctity of life. And I've been struggling to work through this, to be honest. So I've called. Peter Curty from the Centre for Independent Studies. He's a Senior Research Centre in Culture, Prosperity and the Civil Society Programme and also Associate Professor of Law at the University of Notre Dame. Welcome, Peter. Were you, like me, uh, somewhat
1: bemused by this, struggling to work out what was going on and how we deal with these sort of conflicts? Well, I think the conflict has arisen because in the most simple sense, the electorate has been taken by surprise. We had a state election in March when the Berejiklian government was returned to office with a slender majority. There was no mention of this abortion bill in the election campaign. And although the Premier is now talking about a commitment and a concern to uh, to uphold women's rights and issues around women's health. There was no mention of that in the campaign either. And yet suddenly uh, the, the people of New South Wales are confronted with not just any old issue, but one of the most, as you've said in your introduction, one of the most emotive issues that confronts modern society uh, concerning the balancing the rights of the mother, uh, the woman, against the rights of the unborn child. And it's it's emotive, it's complex, uh, it throws up a range of moral questions. And I think the people of New South Wales were not prepared politically for this to happen.
0: Uh, I'd like, if we we can, to uh, treat this discussion a bit like uh, as if we were football commentators covering a football game. We're not going to pick sides, right? We're just calling the game and trying to work out, I think, how we deal with issues like this. You um, know, in, in a way that brings the community along in in some in in, in consensus, really. So um, let, let's start. Uh, let me ask, and this is this is these are devil's advocate questions. I have to say. Uh, if, if a, a woman uh, decides that she'd like to have an abortion um, into, the, into the final weeks of pregnancy because she's decided she's got a boy and she wants a girl and uh, she can find uh, a doctor that's willing to operate and, and they can come to some financial arrangement for that, shouldn't um, you know, it, the libertarian or the, the, the liberal in it should say, well, they make those decisions, they're free to engage in that transaction? What's wrong with that statement?
1: Well, I'm not a libertarian, and so I'm not going to uh, defend or propound a libertarian position. But a abortion is already available in New South Wales, even though it's in the, it's in the, the Crimes Act. There are many hundreds of abortions um, performed every year, It's a criminal offence unless, as we know, because there is case law around this, unless the doctor can argue that the procedure is being performed on one of a number of grounds. Those grounds have been interpreted in the broadest sense possible, meaning that, in fact, it's very, very rare for a doctor to be prosecuted under the Crimes Act for having performed an abortion. So abortion is already available. And there were two parts to this debate. Uh, that that we're currently having in New South Wales. The first is decriminalization of abortion and I'll come back to that. But the second is the uh, is the range of options that are being um offered in in the legislation as we have it the, thus far. I mean amendments are are still being debated and it's still on the table and we haven't got the finished thing. But increasing, there has been debate about making a, a late-stage abortion available. Somebody who's 22 weeks—that's five months—pregnant, and of course, somebody who's walking down the street is five months pregnant this is quite obviously invisibly pregnant. So it's quite—it's not just um, you know a, a thought that you might have about your pregnancy a few weeks after it's happened. This is a long way into the pregnancy. The second thing is the grounds on which the abortion is available, and you mentioned sex selection. And I think that sex selection for many people, and I don't mean religious people, I don't mean people who are, have a faith-based objection to abortion, but many secular people would find that that is actually not an acceptable reason to uh, to have an abortion. So y- your question throws up all the issues that I think have generated so much heat in, in this debate. But abortion, just to summarise, is available still. It is now available in New South Wales. The question is, what... Does our society what does the New South Wales Parliament want to say about the status of abortion in our society it's already here what How are we going to respond to that?
0: yeah well I guess what i'm get, what I'm getting at is you and I would be uh, i'm sure we, we we would have be very uncomfortable with the idea of a woman in a full term uh, getting close to full term at a point where the baby could could quite easily survive outside the womb having an abortion just for a frivolous reason, or not, or not a medical reason or anything like that. Uh, and and yet, uh, you know, if, if there's an economic transaction that she could enter into, she can find a doctor that's willing to do it. Why do we restrict that economic transaction? I mean, are we, are, is this because we want to use the law to impose or, or, or to assert
1: a broader moral principle? Well, I think the law already does have a lot to say about moral principles. And one of the reasons abortion is still within the Crimes Act is that it signals society's concern about what abortion actually entails, and it's about more than a commercial tra- transaction. I mean, you, you can't, you could pay somebody, you could enter into a commercial transaction for somebody to to kill you and eat your body, but that would be illegal and um, and immoral as well. On a on a number of levels, and cr- crimes would have been committed. Just because there's a commercial transaction involved doesn't mean to say that it's, that it's sacrosanct and should be beyond the reach of the law. By retaining abortion as a criminal act, even though there are these exemptions, I think a society is saying, well, here is abortion. We don't approve of it. We don't want to condone it. We want, to, you know, to borrow the words of, of President Bill Clinton, abortion to be safe, legal, and rare.
0: And, and it, I, I think you're right. I mean, I think that there is a, a broad community consensus uh, around uh, these difficult issues. And I'm talking abortions in the final term of pregnancy, gender selection, uh, whether a, a fetus that's, or a baby, I should say, that's born alive uh, should be kept alive by the doctor, whether the doctor have that obligation. And uh, you probably saw the polling on this last weekend by, by Galaxy Polling which showed by a large majority that that, that majority of people were, were troubled by those those points. Interestingly, more women than men actually. When, they, when people say the women's, you know, the women's voice should be heard. Well, if you listen to the women's voice, they're even more uh, conservative, if you like, on this principle. So we 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 do we use the law, as you say, to to, to establish, you know, the moral boundaries of society. Now, once that would have been relatively easy, wouldn't it, when everybody, you know, was pr- perhaps more uh, religiously focused uh, and uh, and probably in this country just one uh, religion. In fact, if you go back probably before 1830, just one type of that one religion. But um, that's not certain now. So do you think that probably what we're seeing here is... is is uh, a dispute over moral values that's being played out in this forum, moral values that once would have been unquestioned?
1: I certainly think we are in the midst of a dispute about moral values. I'm not sure that I'd agree with the proposition that they would at one time have been beyond question. I think what might have been the case at one time is that the 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 dominant authority, let's say the the the, the voices of the voice of the churches, the, regarding that as a dominant authority, would have prevailed in this, and it would have been very difficult for politicians to have distanced themselves from positions set down by the churches. We live in a very different age now. I think that we're seeing here a conflict of rights and duties that. Proponents of, of abortion reform are arguing that it's a woman's right to choose. We hear that phrase used very easily and readily. It's a woman's right to choose. She should have autonomy over her own body and over what she does with the fetus that she's carrying. Opponents of reform would argue that there, it's not just the rights of the mother. That's too individualistic. She also needs, or rather as a society, we also need to consider the 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 life of the infant that she's carrying, that the mother is carrying. And we also need to consider uh, issues like, as you've you've mentioned, the sanctity of life. When does life begin? And and, and theologians and ethicists and scientists um, have long been debating the the precise beginning of, of life. Theologians would say, for the most part, that life begins at conception, but there are different views about that. So we're debating the meaning of life, the sanctity of life, there are also wider societal concerns. What sort of a society do we want to have? Do we want to have a society where my, whatever I want to do, my choice, my, uh, asserted often now as a right, should take precedence over everything else? Well, in a sense, that's, that is the beginning of, of mayhem, because there needs to be, which is why I'm not a libertarian, by the way, because I think we do need to have... Me neither so, for that matter. <laughs> I do think we need to have overarching... structures that either provided by society or by the state that govern the life of a community because we're all very different we have competing needs we have competing values we have competing aspirations and uh, uh, and goals we can't all pursue everything that we want to do all the time yeah we're always balancing those rights yeah i mean
0: that, that 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 civil society um i mean i happen to think i'm sure you probably agree with me that the best type of civil society is the type that we inherited from Britain, which is a uh, a sort of spontaneous development that comes from the bottom upwards. People uh, form bonds with people they don't know out of a sense of you know shared responsibility, shared citizenship, uh, rather than one that's imposed from above. Nice. Uh, and but you know what we've got here, I suppose, is is Parliament to, is being asked to to decide on which which moral principle should prevail, uh, and and that's a very very onerous task
1: for parliament to take on, I think. It's a very onerous task for a parliament to take on, but it becomes particularly tendentious when what politicians start to do and talk about in the parliamentary chamber is so clearly removed, divorced even, from the prevailing views in the community. Uh, I mean, to come back to this this particular issue, there's been very little consultation. Uh, legislation has been rushed through, uh, the responses that have been invited have from from the community have not been given appropriate attention. There is a sense, I think, which in people feel very frustrated. And we're seeing this, of course, in many Western countries and in many Western democracies at the moment. People are frustrated because they don't feel that their politicians are listening to them or are taking any notice when they the people speak out. So I think there are a, a lot of very tendentious issues around this and i I agree with you about civil society i think that society it goes from the bottom up it's formed with communities with voluntary associations with neighborhoods we don't want something imposed but i think at the same time nothing provokes resistance and and annoyance in australian society more than the attempts of politicians to dictate what they think is best countermanding the the views and the preferences of of those groups in society.
0: I think uh, we should point out, because we're talking about this in the middle of the debate. Um, some people, no doubt, with the nature of podcasts, will listen to this when 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 the New South Wales has, has settled this issue. We hope, um, but um, it, it it I think we do see, obviously, that we see in the Parliament that the difficulty they have in working through this. Now, Peter, I always thought. One of the better things about abortion, the way we settled the abortion, or we thought we'd settled the abortion issue in this country, and, and indeed in Britain, is that it was done through through parliaments, which is, you know, in the end, a great forum for uh, compromise and uh, and 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 you know, gauging the public mood and and indeed the public morality. Um, I suspect in America they had a much tougher and uh, more um, uh, acrimonious debate because it was settled through the courts.
1: Um, a, parliaments should be able to deal with these things, don't you think? I agree with you. I think it's very good if parliaments can do that. I don't like... I'm uncomfortable... <clears throat> I'm uncomfortable with uh, the courts having too much say. It's one of the reasons I'm opposed to a Bill of Rights, uh, because I don't want rights to be determined by unelected uh, judges who are unaccountable to anybody. I don't. Th- I think we should keep these matters away from the courts... And as we've seen in the United States, for example, the issue of same-sex marriage, which was dealt with in the Obergefuller case, provoked a lot of concern, not so much because of the the decision of the court, although that did provoke controversy, but more uh, because of the fact that the decision of the Supreme Court removed the opportunity of legislators around the nation to deal with the issue as they thought best. And, And I think that's a very important point. I think it is important that, a par- that Parliament, and I, my preference is for Parliament to address this, in a way that that addresses genuine concerns in the community. Now, just to contrast the two, in, the Abortion Act in Britain was passed in 1967, moved incidentally by a young David Steele, who was then a, a young Liberal member of Parliament. Uh, and what the, the advantage of the Abortion Act, uh, d- deplored by many at the time, but the advantage which was seen by many, many more, was that it made it brought abortion within the, the province of the law, so that it reduced the incidence of back of back street abortions. It made abortion a, a, a legal, a legally available medical procedure, and and that's good because abortions have happened, they will happen. We can make them unlawful; they will still continue. So we need to bring it within the province of the law. But when Parliament makes a move like that, it needs to be sure that it's reflecting the wishes of the community. Now, to the 1960s, coming out of the, of the, uh, the post-war years and, and, and the more constrained sense of society that prevailed in Britain in the 30s, 40s and 50s, this was, a, I think, a moment of, of liberation, a moment of freedom. It, it, came, it was accompanied by a number of other um, societal developments in Britain, such as the contraceptive pill. And I think that it reflected a changing a changing attitude in society. The legislation reflected that it was timely, and the law passed, and it's still on the statute book. We can contrast that with here, and I, I, I appreciate that you wanted to approach this as commentators, but I think it's actually a very difficult issue to be neutral about. I think one of the problems, yeah, I agree. One of the problems here is that Parliament is out of step, or appears to be out of step with the community, and that. Leads to political turmoil, and I think makes consensus very difficult.
0: Yeah, and, and because I don't think you can deal with this issue on a fifty percent plus one basis. I mean, they were a lot of people were uncomfortable with the, the vision from the New South Wales lower house when they passed uh, the bill the first time before it went to the upper house and, and then was put put off to um, to be investigated when people were cheering, it was like they'd won this great victory. Now, I I just don't think you can settle things like this. And and it seems to me that, that um, uh, it was controversial, but it seems to me the way we handled the same-sex marriage issue in this country was far better. I mean, it, it was a little bit messy legally and a little bit messy constitutionally, but we had the plebiscite and uh, we had a debate and then a plebiscite and then the results came back. And um, even, even uh, members of parliament who've been very strongly against same-sex marriage were quite happy. Well, not happy, but but they, they, they realised that they would, they would have to go with the will of the people. And, and we, it, we had a consensus, didn't we? I think every or maybe one or two seats there was a majority against, but in most there was a majority for, and, and mostly around the
1: 60 70% mark. That's right, and I think it, it demonstrates Australians' sense of fair play. Here was the debate... We had the discussion. We had the postal vote, and here is the result. And those who who and it wasn't narrow, you know, it wasn't like the Brexit referendum result, which was so narrow. It was substantial, and I think many people saw that times were moving on. And I also think that many people who themselves might have been uncomfortable with same sex marriage, knew family members or they had friends uh, who who were in same sex relationships, and I think people just recognised that it was time to. Um, give people who had been marginalised by the law and by society the recognition that, that, that was due. So, and, and it's gone off the boil. It is no longer an issue. You just don't hear people talking now about same-sex marriage in the way that we were doing 18 months or two years ago. So I think the same-sex marriage issue was handled well. Um, of course, it will have societal implications, but I think this, the way in which the issue was dealt with suggested to me that Australia was comfortable with living with those implications and, and experiencing and, and evaluating them as they came along. Abortion is a bit different, I think, because it's, it, you know, we've been talking about same-sex marriage for a long, long time. I think, again, coming back to New South Wales, the situation here, this was sprung on the people. If if the government had gone, or if the Liberal Party had gone to the, to the state and said, well, look, this is part of our platform – then at least people would have known, but we've seen that coupled with the fact that it is being pushed by um, by uh, s- politicians with a greenish or independent tint, and of course many of those green independent voices want to see the dismantling of, of of structures, of communities, of associations, and they want to assert the primacy of the individual. Now that runs contrary to the sorts of principles that in, that in my view inform the liberal party and its ethos and and um,
0: it seems to me that the progressive narrative which is that you know we used to be a very uh, dark and barbaric society we've gradually you know thanks to great reforming progressives like themselves we've gradually you know done away with with child labor with slavery and everything else uh, and we're we're an improved society but there is much more to do and there's always constantly a new frontier and and uh i, I I think that this has come into that category of things, that people like Alex Greenwich see this as a great moral crusade, um, you know, on a par with civil rights in America or anti-apartheid. They want to change the world bit by bit. But but the problem with that, with this issue, is it's, it becomes morally absolute, doesn't it? There's no room for compromise. You're for us or
1: against us. Well, that's right. And can I come back to your point about the, the, the cheering politicians? Because it, it, you're right, and it, it, that, that actually aggravates the... The problem because uh, and we see this increasingly I think in, in in society these days these sorts of debates are, to, are turned into zero sum games you it's winner takes all and there is no concession on the part of those who win as it were that there are people with many people with powerfully and sincerely and deeply held beliefs that run contrary to what becomes the majority position and I think that we we do need to remember. And I think that one of the ways in which debates like this, which are so divisive, can do harm to, to the community is that it actually makes it harder for people on either side to to listen to what the other is saying. When we have protesters who, who yell and shout and scream at each other, um, we reduce the opportunity, I think, to learn about somebody else's point of view, which may be very different from mine, we need not to see these issues as in terms of victory and loss, but rather the development and the working to or the development of a consensus and the working to consensus for the good of all people, for the good of families, for the good of mothers, for the good of children.
0: One thing I, th- I think I've detected through some of the commentators uh, largely is that a sort of deaf ear to the spiritual side of this, a deaf ear to what this means to people. There was one. Columnist, well known columnist, a friend of mine, I, I won't name him, who, who wrote a piece saying, Well, what was going on here in the New South Wales Parliament was just a power play. You know, it was just one group of MPs using this issue in order to undermine the Premier. Because uh, I thought that had missed the mark so much, I suppose, partly because. The character of the people that are opposing this, but uh, you know, to think that the, the the sort of opposition that there is to this comes from just some cynical political move, I mean, there may be another explanation. You know, perhaps people just actually do believe in the sanctity of life and and in the tenets of their faith and what's uh, and and the right and wrong of this.
1: I think that secular. The, I think that the journalist. The, I think the columnist. Uh, that you referred to, did miss something significant here. And there is a tendency, I think, nowadays to uh, overlook or minimise the importance of spiritual beliefs and religious beliefs that are held by members of the population. It's often forgotten that that in the last census, 66% of people surveyed um, declared a religious affiliation. Much was made of the 30-plus percent of people who don't, and that number is going up, but there's still a lot of people for whom religion is is a very important part of their lives, and they their decisions, their choices, their moral frameworks are informed by religion. But we are living in a very difficult age when it comes to religion in this country. We've had the Royal Commission... Uh, on institutional looking into institutional responses to child sexual abuse uh, and the impact that that has had on the christian churches we are seeing this being particularly worked out uh, with the roman catholic church at the moment it makes it there is a, there is a in a sense a perfect storm of religious issues because we've had the very tendentious trial and the appeal of cardinal pell which has has provoked a lot of debate within the community there is the ongoing uh, struggle of the churches to deal effectively and to be seen to be dealing effectively with the scandal of sexual abuse. We have religious voices who spoke up in the same-sex marriage debate, and we have now a push in the federal parliament for uh, for legislation to protect religious freedom, and it looks as if that legislation will simply make it unlawful to discriminate on the basis of, re- of, of, of religion. But re- religion uh, in Australia is it has become a, a i mean it's a slightly hackneyed phrase but it's become a hotbed and a number of years ago when i first started working at cis and was working on issues of religious freedom people said to me well what's the issue you know there's no threat to religious freedom it's not a particularly it's not particularly relevant to what to australia today well eight years further down the track, and it's front page news.
0: That's so true, Peter. I I remember when you started there,
1: and I thought, what's he doing there?
0: You know, they need somebody to say grace, obviously, at the start of the meal. But no, I mean, you're right. It has become uh, much more front of mind and much more apparent. And I think this debate on abortion has really brought home to me, clarified to me, what the difference between a sacred issue is to me and and an issue that is, Purely just economics or political. I mean, there the, 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 are a, a, something that's sacred is something which has value but no price. You're not going to surrender it, so it's not it's not something that's open to normal transactional politics, uh, which which
1: makes it hard. I think that uh, many Australians who have a religious affiliation Christians, Jews, Muslims, Hindus, others uh, take very seriously the issue of the status of the unborn child. It is particularly difficult for Christians, and even more particularly difficult for Roman Catholic Christians, uh, to have their voice heard and to have their opinions count at the moment, when so much of what, in particular, the Catholic Church stands for, has been traduced by a series of of scandals and and instances of, um, of legal controversy. And I think that the but but it it's important that those who are aggressively advancing the cause of abortion reform don't forget that there is more for many people there is more than simply the assertion of individual autonomy and individual individual preference for many people individual choices are made within the context of a much wider tradition a community a tradition that is informed by uh, by long-standing customs, beliefs, and doctrines. We're not just individual specs. We're not just atoms, as it were, making decisions on our own. The decisions that we make, religious people would want to say, are informed by the communities that it, that have formed us. And those are important voices. And it, we will do great harm, in my view, to, to our open, our secular, um, our democratic society if people whose views and opinions are actually a very important part of our civil society if those are ignored and if people are made to feel that their their opinions count for nothing it needs to be remembered that faith based community faith based organizations make a vast contribution to the life of this country through hospitals through schooling through aged care facilities um
0: Yes, yeah, I mean, that's right, and we, we know that. We, we, often, we often remind ourselves of that. But um, we are a secular nation. We are very clearly a secular country. We were, we were, we were designed as such. Our democracy uh, was always uh, designed that way. Uh, so we've got to wrestle with that. And it seems to me that, that um, you know, for somebody of faith in Parliament, they've got to uh, recognise that. You can't just go in and say, look, this is wrong because the Bible says so. I think you it, it, it behoves you to make a broader public interest argument on that and to bring on board people who, you know, they may not be, um, you know, on this abortion issue, for instance, in many people may not, go to church or 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 even say they're christians but they they there's a yuck factor that they feel uh with say late-term abortions you know when you we won't go into it now but when you when you when you hear and read about how a late-term abortion is conducted and 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 the ability of a baby after 22 weeks to survive pretty much on its own with with some some assistance all of it i mean you wouldn't be human if you didn't feel a bit yucky about that so how do how do how do people of faith react to this in terms of bringing people along and not not and not um, you know attracting the the criticism? You're just you're just trying to push your religion on other people through the law.
1: Well, I think that's a very important question. I think that it's uh, first of all I want to affirm the importance of living in a secular democracy. I do not want to see uh, laws being made by bishops or imams or rabbis. We well, li-
0: that's right. I mean, the, you, the the extreme of that we've seen in in the yeah. caliphate. Well,
1: indeed uh, and we see that in Tehran now in in Iran with the Iranian government so i I'm, I'm completely supportive of a secular government i wouldn't want it to be any other way uh, because i think only a secular democracy can afford the the genuine freedoms that that we cherish in an open society how do people make their views heard how do they inform public opinion and and the shaping of public opinion well i think through dialogue and through uh, and through uh, in intelligent and thoughtful and sensitive conversation. The shouting down of opponents will do much to damage the prospects of that happening. And one of the politicians in New South Wales who is most eloquent on this and who himself is not a religious person, but who recognises the importance of um, affirming and defending the religious sensibilities of people is Mark Latham, the One Nation leader in, in the Upper House and the former Labour leader.
0: Yeah, and I, 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 That's right. I think people like Paul Murray, I mean, you and I... I th- know Paul Murray we've been on his show he 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 similarly I mean he, I think he calls himself an atheist or something like that but he, he he's very sympathetic and sensitive indeed to the spiritual aspects
1: of life and they see the Mark and Paul see the importance of this to the community they don't want nobody wants things I mean some people do but most right thinking members of the society don't want to ram their views down anybody else's throat and most of us don't want to have views rammed down our throats but we need to have the, the freedom, and I mean the freedom, to exchange different points of view uh, I, I, in a candid and open way. And I think that as we see the divisiveness that you touched on at the, at the beginning of the conversation, it just becomes harder and harder to do that. People will shout at each other. And then, it, as I've said, you know, it will turn into this zero-sum game where the winner takes all, and it, it is victory at all costs. And None of the sensitivities of those who have a different point of view will be taken into account. That is not healthy, and I think we're seeing. I mean, it's not just Australia, and certainly not just New South Wales, but we're seeing divisiveness uh, in, in all kinds of instances in in Western countries. Uh, it's happening at the moment in Britain with Brexit, which has become an immensely divisive kind of, uh, immensely divisive issue, as we know. Let's not get into
0: that one. I, mean, I don't know how that resolves, but I do. I do sense this here with the abortion issue that that. that it, People may be better informed when they listen to this podcast in two or three weeks' time, but I do sense that it is there's a self-correction mechanism pointing in, uh, kicking in. It's clear that the Premier in the public utterances has been a little bit surprised by the reaction and is, is modifying her approach accordingly.
1: And, uh, yes. and maybe that's the beauty of a liberal society, that it does have that self-correction. But where is that coming from? It's not coming from within the Parliament. And it's thanks to, uh, so, well, it's with instances of people like Mark Latham and those who have opposed this who are in the parliament, that's been very important and their voices have been heard. But the, it would have been easy for those people to be marginalised had it not been for the media, journalists, commentators, who really see the seriousness of this issue and recognise, I think because of their, their contact with members of the public their, their engagement their regular engagement with the members of the public they have a strong sense that this is that politicians are out of step and i'm very grateful to journalists and commentators with whom i don't agree on all issues for having made sure this is an issue that is, that remains uh, uh, front and front and foremost uh, at the moment and i think that helps people to feel i think that What's important about this, I think, is that it makes, helps people to feel that though, that they, their dissent or their discomfort is not just them. They are not alone in experiencing that discomfort and that dissent. There are others who feel it strongly, and I think that gives people the confidence to, to speak out themselves. So a free press and a free commentariat is actually a very, very important part of civil society, even when sometimes it can turn and bite us and it stings.
0: you here for that. Peter, thank you very much for coming in and helping Helping me sort a way through some of these tricky issues, and uh, we should do this again. Lily, I'll have you back. Thanks very much, indeed, Nick. It's been great. Thank and, you. And uh, thank you uh, if you've listened to the Water Cooler podcast. Thank you, and please, uh, you know, the jewel you have to get offline, give us five stars, and please uh, send me an email. We'd love to hear from you uh, about how you find these broadcasts, what more you'd like, and and uh, everything about it. But uh, uh, we, we'll be uh, we'll be back again, I think, uh, with another guest and some other subjects in very soon. But uh, Thanks again for your support. If you'd like to support great free content like that, then uh, you can subscribe to the Menzies Research Centre. Go online to www.menziesrc.org. I'll repeat that, www.menziesrc.org. Please join us as a subscriber so that we can do much more of this kind of work. Thank you.